anybody that's thinking about going through the process of whatever they want to write about, whether it's fiction or nonfiction, there's going to be some healing components that come out of that. Write the world-changing book that will help grow your personal brand and your business as it makes the world a better place. Welcome to the Author's Corner, hosted by Robin Colucci. Every episode, we bring you some of the most successful authors, as well as other industry experts, to share some inspiration, motivation, tactical strategy, and fun. We'll also talk about the challenges and trends in the publishing industry. Don't get stuck in the idea phase. Join the Author's Corner today. Start writing the book you've dreamed about. Hello, and welcome to the Author's Corner. I'm your host, Robin Colucci, and today we have with us author Bill Murphy. Now, Bill's book, Thriving in the Storm, Nine Principles to Help You Overcome Any Adversity, was just recently released by Simon & Schuster. And Bill is really the perfect author for a book of that title, because growing up in a toxic and abusive home environment, Bill was constantly overwhelmed by fear and doubt, but he was motivated initially out of a desire to show everyone around him that he was capable and what he could do in spite of being verbally and physically knocked down. But over time, as he matured, Bill also found other reasons for his high achievement and a desire to succeed turned into some incredible accomplishments. He is a Ironman triathlete, as well as he's run the Boston Marathon five times, including once on crutches. He earned a black belt in Krav Maga. Bill is a coach and counselor. He is also a nationally recognized mortgage originator who has closed over $1.5 billion in loans and has been a top producer for 25 years. He's raised over $500,000 for the Make-A-Wish Foundation, and he actively supports numerous other charities, including Fairway Cares, the American Warrior Initiative, and the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute. And Bill himself is the founder of the nonprofit Thrive Foundation. And today in our interview, Bill and I talk about how he utilized some of his nine principles, actually really all of his nine principles, (laughs) to help you overcome any adversity, and how he applied those to the process of writing his book. And in the course of this conversation in particular, we get an opportunity to deep dive into some of the more nuanced aspects of what it takes to, how do you get at the material that, first of all, really shapes the book that's trying to come forward? How do you get out of the way and allow yourself to write the book that needs to be written, that is begging to be written? And how do you overcome those voices in your head that tell you it's too hard, or you're not good enough, or you don't know 
what to do, so why try? And what are some of the habits that you can establish to help you overcome those challenges and to help fortify your body, spirit, and your mind to enable you to succeed? So get out your notebooks, folks. This one's got a lot of juicy nuggets. Enjoy. So, Bill, welcome to the Author's Corner. Thank you, Robin. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm so delighted to have you. And as I was reading up on you and learning a little bit more about your story and how you've overcome significant adversities to be an amazing high achiever in so many areas. But of course, today, another one of your achievements that isn't mentioned in the book is your book, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. which by the way, Thriving in the Storm is published traditionally by Simon & Schuster, which is, is a tremendous feather in your cap. And so I'd love to get started by talking about your journey to having a book. So when did you decide to write about your experience in a book? Like, What was that moment that had you make that decision? Well, I've always journaled and kept notes just on things that ideas for presentations and I do some additional coaching and business and, and life coaching and stuff. So just ideas for presentations or men's summits or things along that nature. And what I've always realized is I always battled with feeling like I wasn't good enough and just being average and not being able to accomplish things without just hard work and grit. And why was I studying for six hours and all my peers in class didn't study and they got A's and I got a 79, you know? So I wanted it to be for those that never felt like they were enough or capable of doing extraordinary things. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I just a regular average dude that just works hard. And I really wanted that to be the target audience that you're capable of way more than you think you are. Don't put limits on anything. And that's what that was for. Yeah. And it's so great. And it's such an important message for everyone. And it's especially an important message for our listeners who are often aspiring authors. And, you know, one thing that I often say to people is when they're thinking about what publishing route to go is that you should never choose your publishing route as an ego decision. And that can be double-sided, right? Like you shouldn't say, I have to have a traditional book deal because I just, it's so beneath me to self-publish. But you also should never say, I'm going to self-publish because I don't think I'm worth a traditional deal or I don't think I can get a traditional deal. So I'm curious, what had you go for the traditional book deal? Like, tell us about that decision for you. So I'm such a rookie, not a novice here. So I had no idea. <laughs> I, needed, I needed the powers that be and people are way more smarter in your industry tell me what I should do. And they said, listen, this is what we'll do. If it doesn't get picked up by any publishers, then we'll, we'll hybrid it or we'll have you, you know, work towards the self-publishing. And luckily enough, it, it did get picked up and with Sky Horse, I'm Schuster. So we were able to work with them. It was nice. That's terrific. So did you go through the whole book proposal process or did you have a, a literary agent or? Did yeah, you I had, a, I had an, an agent work on my behalf. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. And again, 
I knew nothing about the process. So I just tried to interview and research and do as much as I could to learn up front. And I surrounded myself with just incredible people along this uh, journey that have been nothing but wonderful and meeting great people like you in this space. So it's been a lot of fun. It yeah, really has been. That's terrific. And it will be a little bit past this, but as today, as we speak, is your launch date. It is. Today's so the that's day. that's exciting. So tell us about your feelings today. <laughs> well, it's been fun leading tell up to this. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's been fun. It's been anticipated, highly anticipated. And it really, my family and friends have really been great supporters. And, you know, I felt like they were a little bit more excited than I was because still working in my own field and work trying to manage my own company and you know, do my own coaching and do other things. And, but yet it's like, Hey, what's your book launch party going to be like? Do we have one? I mean, like, what do we do? Like they're sending me Pinterest and Instagram photos of people do. I was like, Hey, you know what? We'll do something at the office tomorrow. (laughs) It's been euphoric. It's been surreal. It's been, I don't want to say unimaginable because I've imagined it for a while, Mm -hmm. but prior to writing it, it was something that I never thought I was capable of doing, hence writing it for those that don't think they're capable enough or good yeah. enough or worthy enough. And listeners, it's well written. So kudos to Bill. The writing's Thanks. quite readable, quite good. <laughs> Thank you. And I ought to know. <laughs> Thank you. All right. So let's get into, because you talk about nine principles for overcoming adversity. Which ones would you say writing a book has its own adversities? Were there any in particular you really called upon when you were writing your book? Oh, my goodness gracious. This is the magic question right here. Because you have to live what you do, right? I mean, isn't that what builds character is what's behind closed doors and no one can see? Yeah, what do you do when no one's looking, right? (laughs) Exactly, right? So, I mean, there was days that I had to live the principles Mm. of adversity and put my feet on the floor to get out of bed. And I was thinking to myself a couple of times when this was during the pandemic. So everybody's world was turned upside down. So just let's put this into perspective. Everybody's world was turned on its head. Okay. So no matter how Facebook pretty you looked with those pictures of the smiling faces there was just craziness going on in this world. Like we know, right? So there was days where I said, I was like, I got to live this. I have to live this. Or I'm a hypocrite when I finally get to it and put the pen to paper and write about how you should get through your mess. Right. (laughs) So I'm like, let's go. Let's go. We got to work on this. You got to live it. Yeah. So it was so helpful to know that I had to live what I was saying. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that. Yeah. And I do think that if you write a thoughtful book, right? Not just what I call spew and slew, but <laughs> you know, if you really put your heart and soul and your mind to a book, that's just one example of how the act of writing a book makes you a better expert. It makes you better at what you do in your real career, if you will. Yeah. Did you find that? Did you have that experience? Did you notice any shifts in in your coaching or your speaking as you were going through the process of writing the book and then when it was done? 
Another great question. And yes, I did. So my background was counseling psychology and I got a master's in counseling psychology. So I always understood, I felt like I had a little bit of an idea of what mindset was like and the mindset process and principles that we wrote about and that I was practicing. I did a ton of research and what it did was it actually changed how I was working through my own principles where I thought it was spot on and it was effective, but I did tweaks here and there with how I would meditate, how I would journal, how I would do my morning routine, how I would, I named my alarm, abundance, happiness, healing, love, you know, like just so my mind, like silly things, like little tiny things. I recorded my own goals just so I could listen to them on my run, just so I could reaffirm what I was trying to do or what I was trying to get through in any given day. So I was researching a ton of psychology, a ton of emotions, you know, so we talk about low level of emotion. So like when we're in our own adversity, right? So things are low level are anger, depression, sadness, discomfort, hostility, vengeance, whatever, right? So when you're in those low level feelings of emotions, it's really hard to create. Mm -hmm. So you have to get out of those low level emotions. So I did so much work on my own values, my own low levels of emotions when I would feel it first thing in the morning. Mm -hmm. And instantly, the number one trick to get rid of low level emotions is to be thankful and just give gratitude Mm -hmm. for all those things, all the blessings in your life. And most of them are just is love for your kids, your health, your happiness, your career, you know, like it's all free, you know, it's the best blessings in life are free. Right. So it doesn't have to ever be about your material things and your wealth and, but it should be about your health and it should be about your loved ones. So then now you can create, now you have a sense of, now you're at, you went from low to high. Now you're at a sense of love, happiness, pleasure, enthusiasm, enthusiasm for life, zest. And then that allows you to get through it and go on with your day. So practicing all this every day was kind of some of the things that I was tweaking when I wrote about it. You know, I was writing about building your fortress so you could prepare yourself for the unimaginable, for the roadblocks that just happened. I mean, sometimes our day you know, I remember when my kids were little, like I'd have to be at work at 8.30 and the kids would miss the bus. They were fighting. You'd have to drive them to school. Then you were late for appointments. You had to book everybody back. And then you got some bad emails and some, you know, the staff were fighting and everything else. And next thing you know, your day has gone to hell in a handbasket by 9 a.m. And you're like, oh my God, what am I going to do? Am I going to quit the day? No, I had a great morning. I had a great morning to prepare myself. I meditated. I journaled. You know, I read scripture, I worked out, I did all these things where I'm ready for what the world's going to throw at me today. So that was kind of how build the fortress and then understand the emotions from a low level to a high level and letting it go. Yeah. So like getting out of low vibration state and into that higher vibe state. So that you're creative. Yeah. Which is so true. I'm curious You've got a lot in there, meditation, journaling, exercise. What is your morning routine? How early do you have to get up? <laughs> uh, so, I mean, there's days, my working hours is very important. I mean, I just, 
do some triathlons and Ironmans and things. So those days are like really early. Those are like 3 a.m. days. And then it ranges between 3 and 4.30. Yeah. You know, I try to, I used to say oh, sleep was overrated, but that's not true. It's not. You, you need to Probably in my 40s, now that I'm 50, it's not overrated anymore. Right, right, <laughs> right. <laughs> you rehab and rebuild a lot of things when you get some sleep. So it's super important. So I won't yeah. say sleep's overrated anymore. So you must be early to better then. <laughs> yeah, I try to most, most, <laughs> most nights. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I mean, oh God, it's painful for me to get up that early. I think my bones would hurt. But yeah, yeah I respect that. And there is something... Because definitely taking time to take care of yourself in the morning is so vital to setting up the day. And it really is. I really notice a huge difference on the days that I don't do that versus when, you know, when when I do do that, it's completely affects the whole day. It really does. Now picture this. What about when you overslept a good half hour, 45 minutes, you're like, Oh my goodness gracious, this day is ruined. And it's seven. Because <laughs> you're just like monkey mind. You're just running all over the place trying to get stuff going and you're missing things. Right. And you're going crazy, right? So make sure you have the routine down. And hey, listen, biorhythms matter. So if you're a night person, I'm not saying be a morning person that's going to change your life. Do just change it so it works for you. That's what we talk about because, you know, biorhythms, like I'm not a workout person at night. Everything I do is in the morning, but a lot of people have their best time at night. Maybe they're doing their journaling at night. Maybe they're doing their meditations and their workouts in the evening. Yeah. And I even noticed throughout the day that we all have, like for me, if I don't talk to another human before 11 a.m., and that's where I have my most writing and editing energy is between like 7 a.m., and nine or 10. And then I like to work out. But I think just to understand yourself, right? And as best you can allocate your activities to match your natural energy patterns is really smart. So that's good advice. I can relate, Robin, to not wanting to talk to anybody before 11. I had someone in my life that had a coffee cup that says, shut up. I haven't taken my first sip yet. (laughs) Um, so (laughs) and i'm already three hours awake (laughs) um, i learned to shut up (laughs) there you go (laughs) and that that biorhythm you know the biorhythm biochemistry that's gonna work right well as soon as i start running my mouth all the editing energy just goes with it (laughs) it. very careful protect that energy (laughs) fantastic That's wonderful. So do you have a favorite principle that is kind of your, I don't know. I'm sure they're all important, but do you have a favorite? Well, it would be the book ending of the day. And that's kind of with the morning routine. Uh But I was the guy, like, I don't really binge watch shows or whoever. That's fine. Whatever you do, that's fine. I'm a sports junkie, right? So I would have the game I don't care if it was my home team, Red Sox, Celtics, Bruins, or Patriots. I don't care who it was. I would just have a game on and I would fall asleep. And I did that for years. But then I've learned that I need to shut things off, shut things down. The room needs to be dark. It needs to be chilly. And Mm -hmm. I need to write a little bit. I need to 
self-reflect on the day. I need to identify the wins. I need to identify the challenges, the lessons learned that day. What am I going to do better tomorrow? And what am I grateful for? Like Mm -hmm. those things. And listen, we're not saying this is an hour practice. This is five minutes. It really is. It's five minutes. So we're not asking anybody to just change your life and give up all your stuff. Even if you did watch your binge shows till you went to bed, maybe that five minutes before, that's what you're doing. Uh You'll wake up. You'll wake up a different person once you start practicing that. Mm. So the book ending, when we talk about the book ending part of the routine, you know, building your fortress, which is the morning routine, and then book ending, which is morning with the evening ritual in place. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. Tell us, talk to us a little bit, because I know that one of the, you were talking about like creating these routines, right? And I think one of the most difficult aspects is establishing the routine in the first place, right? Because when you're not used to sticking to it, right? It can be like, oh, I'm doing it for a few days. Oh, I fell off. Oh no, now I'm distracted. Talk to us about like, how did you overcome that? It's creating little habits, right? So start with the habits that you're going to succeed with. You don't go from getting up at 6.30 in the morning to getting up at three in the morning. You change it by... (laughs) 10, 15 minutes. And then that becomes part of your pattern. But what are you going to do? What are you going to do? So I would have that routine mapped out. So I'm going to journal for five minutes. I'm going to meditate for five minutes. I'll breathe for five minutes. 60 seconds. Just do easy things. I'm going to start a walking program. I haven't worked out in two years. I'm going to start walking. Okay. Well, so make sure you have your sneakers, your sweatshirt, shirt, and right by your bed so you can slip it on. And after you finish a little bit of your routine, you can go. Don't put it where you can't find it. If you're one that you're a snooze hitter, if it's your phone or whatever, go put your device. So you have to get up and get out of bed and make that work. Like set yourself up to succeed, right? Don't say I'm going to start this routine tomorrow, but then you don't lay the foundation for the success. You have to set it up. Accountability partners is great. So if you're going to start this walking routine, you know, maybe it's a neighbor, maybe it's someone in your household. I'm coaching a gal and she's like, I'm not going to be the gal that goes to the gym all the time. And her daughter's screaming in the background. She's like, but you need to at least walk with me, mom. And so then I said, there's your accountability partner. This is beautiful. And I made her get on the Zoom call with me. And I was like, you both are going to start this and tell me how many miles, tell me this, tell me. So it was great. It was beautiful. So her daughter was all in it, but it may not be that easy. You might not have anybody. So you just got to set yourself up so it does succeed. But, and don't go all, I wouldn't go all in and say, I'm going to do this seven days a week. You know, start with a couple of days, say Monday, Wednesday, Friday, this is the week I'm going to do that. I may add another day that works with my schedule next week and then go from there, build that pattern, build those habits. You're going to be consistent. I think it's going to be easy for you as well. No, it's it's so true. When I had a 10-year detour from the fitness industry and I had a personal fitness training business. And what you're saying really jibes because one thing I observed is that the people who tried to go from their regular habits, right, to, oh, I'm going to eat perfectly clean. I'm going to work out five days a week. I'm going to do this. And just like from wherever they were to just like totally dialed in, those people would fail because- <laughs> You can't stay totally dialed in for very long when you're coming from such a big gap. And I would just tell people, you know, the next week, just substitute the donuts for baby carrots and just make it to your workouts because you have to get more refined the closer you get to optimal. 
the more refined you have to be. But there's usually quite a gap between where somebody's starting and optimal. So you're talking about these, these little incremental improvements, and you really don't have to have it all dialed in until you're within 1% body fat of where you want to be or whatever your athletic goal is or whatever. That's when you have to be fully dialed in when you're really that close. And that's where the plateau happens. Yeah. So now you're like, mm-hmm. I haven't seen progress in three weeks. Oh my God, I'm done. Like this isn't working, right? Yeah. But that's when you have to stick with it yeah. and change little things. Again, you want to make it easy so it does stick. Yeah. So make yeah. it as easy, easy for you as you possibly can. Again, when we talk about habits, if it, we're talking about the health, eating healthier and leading a wellness lifestyle, well, get rid of all the junk in your house. Yeah, you know, yeah. just chuck it, just go right or give it away, whatever you need to do if, right. <laughs> it can be, if it can be donated, but just eliminate it from your presence. Yep. Why leave that there for temptation and say, I'm going to willpower this out. Right, right. <laughs> well, then, it, then it's not easy. Right. It's the same like I'll do like a 30 day cleanse and not have any drinks or alcohol or whatever. And just like, I'm just getting rid of all the stuff. Yeah. I'll leave the wine at the office. I'll leave the Tito's, you know, out of the cupboard and... <laughs> Don't set yourself up to say, well, it's Fat Sunday. I'm going to have a drink or or a cookie or whatever. Just eliminate it. Yeah, Good advice. Good advice. All right. So I know I leapt over the really compelling story of your book. So I want to go back and have you talk to our readers because really your story is, I mean, our readers, listen to me. I'm so programmed. Our listeners. (laughs) Your future readers, when they- I didn't even pick up on that, Robin. Well, I'm an editor, Bill. So <laughs> <laughs> always editing. A-B-E, always be editing. <laughs> but really, I'd love for you to share in your own words, you know, a little bit of your story of you know, that you relate in the book so eloquently and, you know, how- your story really laid this painful as it was. It really created who you are in many ways and made you the man that you are today and sharing the value that you're sharing. So I'd love for you to share with our listeners some of your journey. And of course, they'll get the whole thing in your book. Yeah. We want to talk about what shaped me. Yeah. Sure. In 2019, I did a Boston Marathon, right? It was my fifth one. And shame on me, but I took it for granted and I didn't do the right things. And we talk about make things easy and do the right things. It's I didn't take my nutrition seriously. Cause like, you know what? I've done this a lot of times on the coast. Right. And what happened was in new England, the weather changes a little bit. <laughs> so it went from rainy to 70 degrees and sunny to 40 degrees and rainy, windy again. So it was like, it messed with your body, your temperature, everything, your nutrition. So I just was plowing through it. I was coasting by mile 15 when it was 70 degrees. I started cramping up and I was so mad at myself because I knew I didn't have enough of the nutrition that I needed, which was the salt and the electrolytes and a lot of the other stuff that I needed. And so I ended up walking, limping from the last eight or nine miles. And it was because I was in great shape, but I would just screwed myself up by just the little tiny things that, that I ignored. So at that particular time, I was going to told myself, I was like, you know what, this is my own fault and my, I'm going to torture myself. So I'm going to say the most mentally grueling thing is I wanted to do an Ironman. And I haven't swam or I haven't biked. So I did the marathon and then I got a coach and 
no one would take me on and said, you don't have six months to do this. You're not going to be able to do it. Well, I train, train hard, train right. I'm very coachable. That's one thing I think is super important. If you get coached, be coachable and don't fight with your coach if you have a good one. So just find a good coach. So I did that. I finished the Ironman, but I had a relationship issue. And I went to some therapy and during this process, so I'm a reader, but I listen to my books. So so much training during the Ironman, I listened to all kinds of books, right? So I listened to Terry Real. Terry Real wrote a lot of marriage books. He wrote a book called 30 Years Ago. I don't want to talk about it, male depression. Mm. So I listened to this book and I was on like a three-hour run. And I listened to this book and within two runs or whatever, and I finished it. And I was like, oh my goodness. I said some other words, but I was like, I'm freaking depressed. And I grew up with depression. Ah. So I told this to my significant other and she's like, you need to see Terry. And Terry happened to be local and he was sought after all over the world, but he just happened to be 40 miles from us. So I go to see him and I tell him the story. I said, Terry, your story about male depression is like, I'm admitting it for the first time. Because I said, I had anxiety growing up. And I just felt like I was always told that I wasn't able to do things. And I would do things in spite of others to show them. I'm going to show them I can do this. That always, I was doing it in spite of being depressed. But I wouldn't admit, I wouldn't admit being depressed. So Terry says, you're effed and you need to go away. And because I didn't want to admit it. This was in like October. I do this Ironman, finish it in November. I checked myself into this facility in Arizona, Psychology Counseling Services, PCS. Mm-hmm. And it was an intensive. And, you know, I was in there for 65 hours doing the work. So I was really worried about my work. I was worried about everything. I did go kicking and screaming and I was not going to go. Huh. And what I realized was growing up, I was Irish Catholic household. And I thought that the humiliation to belittling and the physical abuse was normal, right? It was normal. Like I just didn't have the deck dealt to me that some of my friends had. They had it a little bit better than me, but I never was really jealous. I was just like, you know what? It's normal. I just not really happy with my situation or the environment that I'm growing up in. And PCS, they said, you need to focus on the child that was abused because you don't love that kid. And I was like, because I would tell the story about, hey, yeah, I remember, you know, when I was eight, I got put through this wall and then my sister thought I was going to die. And then, but my dad made me plaster it back up, you know? So like things like that. And I was like, I was normal, right? And so when I left there, there was this test, it's called an ACE test. And it's basically about childhood trauma and abuse, right? And so the doctor there said, based on what you scored, you should have been dead or in jail. Mm. But he said, you used your trauma to overcome all your adversity, right? All your things. I'll show them. And you got lost in your work. You got lost in your workouts. You got lost in just outgrinding everybody and, and just being super determined. But they did diagnose me with PTSD. Mm. So remember this. I said, I never felt worthy, right? I didn't even feel worthy of the diagnosis because I said to them, and this is all in retrospect. I said to them, I said, this is a warrior's diagnosis. These are guys on the battlefield. That's not me. I'm not that guy. I don't have PTSD. That's for soldiers. And so like, I couldn't even accept that. Mm. So fast forward, 
that was part of the process when I was writing it. I started out writing it, you are more capable of what you think you are. And now it's thriving in the storm with all the adversity, because now I started to realize all the abuse and all the trauma that I did take and what it took for me to overcome a lot of stuff and not go down the wrong path. You know, I do have friends and I do have people that are very close to that did have similar home environments that are some aren't alive. Some are on knocking on death's door because they're drug addicts or they're in jail. And it's very unfortunate. I got lucky because I found my vice wasn't drugging and violence and all this other stuff. As much as I was angry, it was I'll outwork everybody <laughs> to show them. So yeah. in a sense, it cost me, but it was probably the lesser of all the evils that I've that I could have fallen in. So that's where the book evolved from you're capable of more than you think you are into you can just wait for adversity to happen and play the victim. And it's fine, right? I mean, hey, you know what? I'm sick today. I'm just not doing a damn thing. And okay, all right, fine. Or you can just wait for it to pass and just like, all right, I'm going to move around and we're going to get through this. Or you could just be a doer and you'd be like, you know what? Let's tackle X, Y, and Z. I'm not feeling great because when you're feeling great, it's easy. When you're not feeling great and you do it and you accomplish it, then you feel a lot, that much more better, right? It's like, who would play the game if there was no defense? You wouldn't feel great about winning, right? Now <laughs> you have defense and they're really good and you win. You feel that much more euphoria. Right. So it's the same thing. It's with adversity. You know, and we all have levels. And listen, people have to grieve and people have to go through things. That's fine. And maybe you do take time. But let's get through it faster than we would have mm-hmm. if we start to do some things to put it in place. So that's kind of how that evolved 2019 and then into the pandemic. So, so let me just clarify. So are you saying that your whole concept for the book evolved after you started writing it and you were having awareness or did I miss something or was this, because when you <laughs> help me, I, I'm just, I'm just really interested in this. It wasn't written until 2020 when I was done with everything, Right. but I had all my ideas down Yeah. in 2019. Gotcha. Okay. So then it took off because it was just ideas and journal notes and right. Okay. It was all over the place with just a thought process, right? Talk to a lot of authors and talk to a lot of people about yeah. being capable, but then it evolved and it came together. So at some point it coalesced around this idea of overcoming adversity though, right? It sounds like versus just general effectiveness. Yeah. I can't even imagine your book not being about this, about adversity. I mean, it just seems yeah. this is really what it was meant to be. Yeah. So, so many things would change. The ideas that I started with yeah. totally changed mm-hmm. because I wanted to go more this path. As much as it does include you're capable of more than you think you are. And that's part of the process. Absolutely. But give yourself some credit. Let's overcome this as quickly as we can. So I want to ask you on a personal level, like, because you get pretty vulnerable in the book, you expose, you know, a lot of really difficult things that you experienced. How was that experience for you of like being that vulnerable and that transparent about your experience? The real concern was, you know, my mom and my sisters, you know, mm-hmm. when I was at PCS, I called my mother to ask her what she remembered. And she's like, I don't really remember stuff. And then she remembered, Hey, you were waterboarded to stop crying. You were harnessed to your crib to keep you from getting out of your crib. Like things that are inhumane or against the law for the yeah. Taliban to do. 
like war crime. So I was like, well, that is kind of major stuff, right? And so like, and then my mom, you know, was very upset and that's what I wanted to avoid and my sister. So like, I was so careful with what I wanted them to know and see. There was a lot of conversations and I would imagine, and again, this is my first time and I'm a rookie and a novice and I listen to your stuff so I can learn, but I would imagine authors or anybody that's aspiring to be one when you go through that process, you're going to think about your loved ones as you write things. You're like, oh, no, 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 I can't say that. Or, you know, so like there was a lot of choice words that I had to take out. And there was some kind of having fun with it, laughing about it now. But there was a lot of yeah. things that I said that I was meaning to put in. I was like, no, we need to clean that up. That's no ill will. No, there's nothing there. Let's, because yeah. that would defeat the purpose too. Right. And there is that balance, right, of your own vulnerability and being truthful about your experience and balancing that with not hurting people unnecessarily. And that is a line that I imagine you had to walk pretty closely. Yeah. And am I, I hope I'm not speaking out of line. Like, I'm going to ask you is that something authors have to battle themselves with when they? Absolutely. Especially when you're writing nonfiction narrative, you know, about your own life. It really is a delicate dance, if you will. And I think it sounds like you handled it brilliantly because one thing I often advise my clients is to talk to your family, get their experience of the experience, if you can, right? Because that often brings perspective that you might not have had, especially as a child. And I could see that from your conversation with your mother, actually, that you clearly, when hearing her perspective and the adversity she was facing, that it seemed to help you understand. Yeah, that's some great advice. Anybody that has some, if they're writing about some tough stuff that they're sharing, I mean, do you get permission? How do you delicately talk about it? I mean, whatever you need to do, I would certainly, especially for your loved ones, you don't hurt anybody, you know, in the process. It's easy to slam the ones that uh, kicked you when you're down and that defeats the purpose, right? right? We're talking about adversity and getting through it. Well, okay, I'm going to slam somebody because this is a public forum to do that. Then that's the hypocrite right there. That's hypocritical. Mm-hmm. So let's go out with grace and forgive. You know, that's part of the mindset too. You know, that's part of the emotions. If I'm angry and I'm keeping inside and I'm telling you how to get out of low-level emotions, <laughs> well, hey, four chapters ago, he didn't he just say, don't and get rid of the world of emotions, but he hates his dad. You know, <laughs> you know like, so yeah. that's like, pay attention to that, right? Absolutely. That's really, and you know, you're bringing up something else that I've seen, especially when people are writing about their own lives is I think it's, I think the act of writing about it is healing oh, or has you're the, good, has, you're good, right? Has that potential to heal. Yeah. You know, and one of the things that I think is the reason why is that if you're writing about it well, I always tell my clients the ideal point of view as you're writing is to have like a dual point of view where you can imagine yourself back in the situation Mm. and simultaneously be in the witness state, like the meditator observing yourself in the experience and that that can give you the perspective necessary to write about it with a higher vibration of Mm. seeing the big, the overall picture 
that you're actually watching two wounded individuals, for example, writing about your father, you and your father. Yeah. You know, and coming at it, and then you can write about it from that place of detachment and empower, really empower yourself. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think you did a really good job of writing about what happened without unnecessarily saying hurtful things that didn't need to be said. Correct. There was a lot of revisions. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> Even that is healing though, right? Because it, for it to be true to you, you have to keep reframing it until you can say what you feel congruent with. Right. Right. I mean, you just made a great point, right? So anybody that's thinking about going through the process of whatever they want to write about, whether it's fiction or nonfiction, there's going to be some healing components that come out of that. I mean, because it's going to be relatable because it's coming from you. Mm-hmm. So you're going to touch upon something or you're going to trigger something and you really want to tap into what's triggered and think that through and process it and yeah. feel it. You know, I only wrote on this, but it was the culmination of all my journals, my notes, my experiences. And for me, everybody's going to have their own style of getting their ideas. But when I'm out on a run or a hike or just doing some physical activity, like I have my phone with me and I'm recording a bunch of stuff because the endorphins are going crazy. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to go to Mars and I'm just going to take it to the next level. And I just start recording all kinds of stuff. And half the time when I play it back, I'm like, what were you talking about? And so, but the other times it makes sense. And I'm writing, I'm going to start putting in my phone notes or sometimes stopping or, and I told you when I work out, I don't listen to music. And I listen to books. Uh-huh. I have audio stuff going. And sometimes something will just resonate or podcast. I listen to a couple of your podcasts on my own. I get some ideas and I stop or I'll record it and be like, that was this great idea from Robin's show. And so you take that, then you can process it later. But I mean, that's what happens for me. You could be being in nature. You could be in the garden. You could be doing whatever and just get this great ideas when these endorphins, we're talking about creating from a high level. Yeah. Nature's a high level. Yeah. You're on a oh, hike. Totally. Right. Yeah. So work with it. Let yeah. it be your you friend. Move your you're... body. Moving yeah. your body helps to get things going. Or just sometimes I get my best ideas in writing when I'm not thinking about it at all. Yeah. Right. And then it just like lands. You know, <laughs> just could yeah. be on a beach walk or in the shower or on my Peloton, you know. <laughs> oh yeah. Peloton. I get a lot of oh. Yep. Of my Peloton. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> I should make them make me a sponsor now that I said that. No, <laughs> make them a sponsor. Right. Wow. Okay. So I cannot believe how fast this time has flown by. Oh. I'm going to turn the mic over to you. And what parting thoughts would you like to leave our listeners with today? Well, first of all, thank you for having me. This is a lot of fun. And wow, it did fly by. Here's the thing everybody has a book in them. Or you have a story that you can tell. And if you're thinking about doing this, but you say, I'm not smart enough. I'm not good enough. This isn't the right time. I have all this self-doubt. I can't do this. I'm not a great writer. I mean, there's a lot of things that you can do to overcome that, but believe that it's possible. So that's kind of what I want to say. But your story, like I said to Terry Real, who wrote the bestseller, I don't want to talk about it. He was the pioneer of talking about male depression. I told him, I said, 
in your book about male depression, I don't want to talk about it. You were me and your dad was my dad, but I had it way worse than you. I couldn't have that book. <laughs> right? So what I'm saying is everybody has a story. Don't compare your story to anybody else's. Your story is unique for you and you're going to captivate so many people that are going to be able to relate. And whether it's fiction or nonfiction, you know, you have a story to tell. And that's the book within everybody. Mm. Well, Bill, thank you so much for telling your story and for being with us here today on The Author's Corner. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for tuning in to another amazing episode of The Author's Corner. You're one step closer to writing the world-changing book you've dreamed about for years. To access today's show notes and other helpful resources, simply visit our website at theauthorscorner.com. A positive review would be appreciated. Until next time.